Good morning. Um, yeah, I'm wearing a coat, mainly because I think my dry cleaner's closed and I only want to iron this part. So, and I'm running out of shirts. So, uh, and it's Easter. Hey, I'm going to add a little bit to the service today, just a, just a couple of minutes, because there, I found out, Lynn and I were watching a sermon on Friday night, uh, a guy I, I really like to, uh, to listen to, his name is Robert Morris, and he told us of a worldwide movement of prayer. And every week, this group of people puts out a prayer that they're asking all the churches around the world to be praying. And this is the one for today. And if you want to look this up, and in fact, if you want to, uh, Pastor Kurt asked if we would all go out into our front yards at noon on Easter Sunday to pray for God's intervention in this pandemic, uh, and that his name would be glorified. If you want to find this prayer and print it up uh, and take that outside at noon to pray, uh, that would be wonderful. It's at unite714.com, unite714.com. And it, the 714 is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. That it, it's, if, if my people who, who are called by my name will humble themselves uh, and seek my face and, and, and repent of their sins and ask me to. I will turn my face toward them and I will heal their land. That's what this is. So this prayer, uh, Josiah was able to get this ready and have it for your screens. You don't have to pray it out loud, although I would encourage you to do so with me, um, or, but at least agree with it because there are churches all around the world today that are praying this very same prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we humbly call upon your name, asking you for supernatural peace, and strength. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul speaks of the spiritual power of prayer. And as we pray today, we are fully engaged in armed for battle against COVID-19. Your word says that when we pray according to your will, our prayers are powerful, are mighty and powerful. You are our rock, our shield, and fortress. Lord, we protect our families, churches, cities, and nations from the effects of COVID-19. We ask you to put fresh words of faith, comfort, healing, and salvation in the mouths of your people around the world. Give pastors and their congregations the words they need to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. We pray, we pray that through this prayer of faith today, fear and worry will lose its grip over the world. We declare, Lord, we ask that you shield us, our families, our churches, our cities, and the nations of the world from the ravages of COVID-19. Lord, we ask you to shield all doctors, nurses, first responders, and vulnerable people from contracting COVID-19. Lord, we ask you to shield the world from panic and despair as your church boldly proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. In this uncertain time, may people find true comfort and peace in their souls as they call upon your name. We humbly ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I'm going to let that be the prayer because we prayed that we, the church and that the pastors and the people would boldly and fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Christ. We are in um, the gospel according to John. And, and, uh, We've been in that since Epiphany, since early January, and uh, every, four, every year we do a different gospel. Um, we just walk through the life of Jesus from Christmas till Easter, and today, this, this time we're in John, and it occurred to me in between the services, I'd mentioned that I'd been preaching about 30 years, and not weekly for 30 years, but my very first sermon ever 
uh, February, uh, first in public worship, um, was John chapter, John chapter 7 uh, on February 26, 1989. So 31 years, and the gospel of John has been... I've always said that Mark is my favorite gospel uh, because I really like Mark's portrayal of, of Jesus in, in there, but I'm blown away how many times I'm in John how many times John comes to mind and how many times I learn something brand new. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 20 today, but it is easy in the church and especially for pastors because we always talk about Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. And it is the watershed point of all of history. But it is easy to think of Easter only as the cross, but it's also easy to think uh, to only consider the resurrection and forget the, the cruelty of what Jesus endured on the cross. So I'm going to just take us back. It's not going to be on your screen, but just a couple of things that Jesus said on the cross, according to John. Two things. One, it says in order to, um, to uh, fulfill a scripture, Jesus cried out from the cross, I'm thirsty. And uh, this sermon that Lynn and I heard on Friday, he brought something new to light that I thought was fascinating. And I think, I think he's onto something. I, on Monday, Thursday, if you joined us for that service, we learned that there's several cups that are, several times people drink from the cup in, uh, in, in the Passover, the Seder uh, meal. And we talked about Jesus when he says, take this cup from me, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood and, and he cries out to the father and he says, if, it, if, if, if you can find another way to take this cup from me, but not what I want, what you want, not my will, but your will be done. That was that cup of bitterness, of sorrow, of pain and even death. But there's something about the fourth cup of the Passover and Jesus crying out, saying, I, I'm, I'm thirsty or I thirst. I'm not sure that he was really all that concerned about whether he was staying hydrated as he's about to die because moments later, he proclaims that it is finished. If the Passover is kind of a picture of the passion of Christ, his last days, last hours even, uh, that when he said, I thirst, and they took that sour wine and they put it on a, a hyssop branch and they put it up and he, he, he let it touch his lips. That was a cup of redemption. He was saying to God, the father and the Holy spirit, it's time. It's time to complete this work, to die the death so that my people won't have to die and stay dead. And then it says, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. They put him in a tomb we know that story and rolled the stone in front of it. And then John 20 is the most of the resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus in the gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, that's today, that's Easter, the first Easter Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, and by the way, Mary, Mary's last name isn't Magdalene. She's from Magdala, and so she's Mary the Magdalene, but she just became known as Mary Magdalene, like Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. Uh, so you didn't need to know that, but I find it curious. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, uh, and, said to, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and, and I don't know where they put him. 
So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Now, I want you to watch this sibling rivalry here. These guys are like brothers. I can see me and my brothers like this, um, you know, which you're better at something. So I, I love this about John the author and how he plays with him and Peter here. But watch, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He, meaning the other disciple, uh, he bent over and looked looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon, who was behind him, uh, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Now, I wanna, I wanna pause there just for a second because every year about this time, there's a, there's a thing that goes around. It, it's on Facebook, it'll be on YouTube. It, it, it gets an email chain, that kind of thing. About this idea that, that this, this thing that was around over Jesus' face was folded up. And there's an old legend, and I wish it were true, but it's not, um, that there was an old tradition that if you ate dinner somewhere and you were pleased with it and, it, and you were gonna come back, that you would fold your napkin and leave it. And they do a lot more to kind of tell you that this has been a tradition for thousands of years. But just so you know what the Greek says here, um, this thing that was folded, it, 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 it wasn't something that laid over his face. What they did uh, is they didn't want a dead person's mouth to open because things would be in it. And so they, they, they tied it up. They would fold a cloth up so that almost like a bandana that you would put around your head and they would tie it to hold the mouth shut. So that's what's folded. It's as if Jesus either, when he resurrected, he took it off and placed it there or he just came right through it. We don't know. Uh, but it's just, just a little piece of information for you. So finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, but John knew something had changed. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? I, I get cracked up by angels. I've only had one angel experience in my life, and uh, it, it was very comforting to me, but I don't think that it would have been comforting to others. Um, but I, I, gotta, I gotta say, they, they always seem to say the most inappropriate thing, like to Mary when the angel shows up to a 13-year-old girl who's never kissed a boy, don't be afraid. Uh, over and over. And here, why are you crying? Well, the one she's been following, one of her dearest friends in the world was just crucified, dead and buried. That's why she's crying. But they know something's changed. Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they, where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not recognize it was, or realize it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Again, Jesus seeming to ask an inappropriate question. You know what? But who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. 
And Jesus said to her, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples uh, with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had uh, said these things to her. Now just, this is a, it's kind of an odd it's kind of an odd interaction there because I find it curious that Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Now, think about it. She, she just walked in to anoint him because they had, they had a, it was kind of a rush job on Friday and, and she walked in to anoint him and she finds that he's gone. So not only is she grieving the fact that she's lost someone dear to her, but now she finds out that they've even stolen his body. And so she's crying, she's weeping. And then with one word, Jesus reveals himself to her and he calls her by name, an intimate name. He says, Mary. And of course she embraces him. Of course she jumps up. She can't believe what is going on. She's absolutely astonished. And he says, don't hold on to me. Like, like you're not allowed to touch me, social distancing in the first century. It's not what he's saying. If you, if, you, if you dissect the words in the original language, and I know that most of you, you don't have the, uh, the, the privilege and the opportunity to do that, but what he's saying is you can't keep holding on to the way things have always been. It's not gonna be the same. I'm not resurrected and then coming back and we keep doing what we've been doing. I'm going to the Father, who's your Father, to my God, who's your God. So he's letting her know that, that everything changes now. He's not being crass or, 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 or coarse with her. He's... He's letting her know that what she's hoping for right now isn't what's coming. Something that she's been hoping for all along is coming and it's gonna be even better. On the evening of the first day of that week, Easter, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, that's just a common everyday greeting. It'd be like me showing up to you. It's still used in the Middle East today, whatever language, that's what they say. But, but uh, it'd be like me saying to you, good morning. So it's just a simple, uh, friendly greeting. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I don't believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, now remember, Jesus has not seen Thomas directly. He hasn't, according to this passage, we haven't had any other, he doesn't know from being there or from an eyewitness what Thomas has said, but he's God and he knows. And he, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe the Greek here says, apistos, pistos. No longer be in the state of unbelieving, but now continue to be in the state of believing. So we call him Doubting Thomas, and Jesus isn't reprimanding him here. He's saying, it's finished. Now you can see what's real, what's whole, what's complete. 
Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He's the first person in the gospels recorded to call Jesus, confess him as Lord and God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, that's, he's talking to Peter or to Thomas and the disciples with you've seen and you believe. And he's talking to us with blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then Jesus, uh, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, there's one other appearance of Jesus in the gospel according to John. It's in John chapter 21, and the disciples are fishing. Um, this is a couple of weeks after he had died and resurrected, and they're not really, and Jesus isn't around all the time, and they're not really knowing what their lives are going to be, so they're back out doing what they do, and they're fishing. And Jesus shows up on the shore, and he says, uh, he, he calls out, you know, why don't you have any fish or something like that? And, and John, uh, Peter sees Jesus and he puts his clothes on, jumps in the water and runs out. And then he and Jesus go for a walk. And I love this passage. It doesn't say they went for a walk, but we find out later that John, the beloved disciple, the one Jesus loved, uh, that he was following behind uh, because Peter didn't like the attention that God was, Jesus was giving him. And so he wanted to put the attention on John. So, but, but they're going for a walk. And I want you to know that Jesus asked John, he asked it three different ways, but he asked him one, or Peter, he asked Peter one question. So the God of the universe who became flesh, who just suffered unthinkable torture and then beat death and spent 36 hours wherever he spent it when he was dead, taking our sins to hell and leaving them there where they belong. This is, this is, not, this is not a time that I would be sticking around. I would be going back to the Father. We'll get back to that in a minute. But, but he's having this conversation with Peter who had, who had denied him. And he has one question for him. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah. Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Come on, Peter. Do you, do you love me? See, that's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we hear later what that everlasting life is. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God. They, meaning us, God, meaning God. And he just says here, my father is your father. My God is your God. And then he says to, John, or to Peter, Peter, do you love me? That's all God asks in return is that we receive the love he gave to us and that we love him in return. Yes, there are other things. There are things that we're not supposed to do, but those aren't to protect us from pleasure or to deny us pleasure, but to protect us from pain. But there are things that we get to experience that we get to do that changes everything. And I want you to see that God asks one question of Peter and he asks one question of you. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Not a cute little prayer that we say, not, not something simple and just we making it so that God's job is to make our lives easier. That's not what this is about. It's about, are you willing to see that everything is different? Are you willing to see like Mary, that, that the world is not going to go back to the way it was? Everything changes, but it may be better. I want you to notice something in, in these resurrection appearances. I hope you do, because one thing brand new for me, but first I want you to notice that when he comes back, the God of the, it almost seems like to me, like at the wedding in Cana in John chapter two, when Jesus shows up and they're out of wine and, and his mom says, hey, they're out of wine. And he says, woman, 
His words, not mine. It's not yet my time. His ministry of miracles wasn't so, supposed to begin yet. But in order for a wedding to come off without a hitch, because God blesses man and woman being together, he changed his eternal agenda to make sure that this wedding of friends and family came off without a hitch. I'm not sure, but it seems to me that he delays his ascension because he loves these people. And he loves them in such a way that he shows up to them personally. He, he meets Mary where she is, in her sorrow, in her grief, in her, her sense that the one I love has just been stolen. My whole life has been taken away and now they took his body? And he shows up with the disciples where they are. They're terrified. They're holed up at home and they, they, they're afraid for their lives. And he doesn't ask them to come to him. He goes to them. And then oh, even a week later, because Thomas wasn't there when, when he showed up the first time, he, he shows up again because he wanted Thomas to know that he is important to Jesus. And there's one other piece. See, we, we learn in the very beginning of this gospel that John, the beloved disciple, wrote. We hear that God became flesh and moved in next door. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled among us. John 1.14. That tells us something about God, that God pursues us. See, religion is about us pursuing and appeasing some, something that is divine, some deity. That is not Christianity. Christianity is God seeks us. He comes to us. It's not that we first loved him, it's that he first loved us. Yes, our response to his first loving us is loving him in return, but there is something glorious about the fact that God seeks us. And we see even in his glorified body, after he beat death, after he took the sting out of it, we see him do what God does, seek out people where they are. Not to, not to ask them to change first and then come to him, not to announce from the temple that here I am, I'm back, see the whole world. He shows up to the people that he, that he knew the best, to Mary, to the disciples, even to Thomas, and then to Peter. But there's one other piece that I think we're missing I've been studying the Gospel of John since 1985 or 6. I took a class with Dr. Jenny Efforts called Johannine John, Johannine Literature. And we had to study it and study it and study it. The, the, the book I translated when learning Greek was the Gospel of John. I know this book very, very well. And I'm blown away that every time I read it, every time I study it, every time I preach it, I learn something new about God that I should have already known. And, I, and there's something here. I, I, I like this little play between uh, John, the other disciple, and Peter, I love, and I think that's real. I think they're human beings that they're, and they're probably teenagers because they're, I'm faster than you. My dad can beat up your dad, that kind of thing. Um, but there's something, and I always, I always, I always, I think I've got it wrong for 30 plus years. There's this thing about John saying, calling himself the beloved disciple, the one Jesus loves, the one he loved more than everybody else. See, I, I've looked back and John never calls himself John, not one time in this gospel. He only calls himself the other disciple, the one Jesus loves, or the one Jesus really loves. I think I've missed it. John calls himself the one Jesus loves because to John, his identity outside of that does not matter. He, him being John means nothing. Him being, is he son of Zebedee? That, 
Yeah, John, the son of Zebedee. Him being the son of Zebedee doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to John is that Jesus, the God of the universe with flesh, loves him. Who's the beloved disciple? Who's the one Jesus loves? You are. That's who you are. The one Jesus loves. Mary is the one Jesus loves. Peter is the one Jesus loves. Thomas is the one Jesus loves. Trent is the one Jesus loves. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is it, that God so loved you that he was willing to endure the cross, scorn its shame, so that you could have everlasting life with him. That is how much the God of the universe loves you and he pursues you. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter the sins you've committed. It does not matter the thoughts you've had. It does not matter what you've looked at online. It does not matter. None of that matters. What matters is that God loves you and there's nothing you have done that can separate you from his love. All he asks is, do you love me? And today's the day to say, yes, Lord. If it's the first time, the 50th time, the 500th time, it doesn't matter because he's saying it's not ever gonna be the same. Everything changes when you become, when you acknowledge, when you confess that I am the one Jesus loves. Now, if you're like me and you don't feel that, I've had probably four experiences in my whole life of feeling the presence of God or the, what, people, what I call the Holy Spirit shivers, like, oh, I can tell God's here. Four times. Once was in a sermon, and it's not right now. I want you to go back to Thomas because the other disciples had, and Thomas had seen Jesus, had had an experience of him, but he said, blessed are those good things about those who have not seen and yet believe. See, this gospel says that this is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It does not matter what you feel. What matters is what you believe. And if you believe it with everything that you have, that's all that needs to be done. It doesn't matter if you feel it. It matters what's true. You are the one Jesus loves, even you, especially you. Do you love him? That's the question he asks. I pray you do. And if you haven't, I pray you will. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I'm even gonna thank you for missing this for all these years. That John sees himself as nothing more and nothing less than the one you love. I pray that everyone listening, watching, partaking of this message, including myself, that you help us see that what really matters is that we're loved by you. And you have one question for us. Do you love me? And Lord, I pray that every day we say, yes, Lord, of course I do. Help us be the people that you want us to be. Help us be courageous and strong, gentle and humble, and protect us. We pray these things in the name 
of Jesus, the only name that matters, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus breathed into us for the glory of 